growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. What about forgiveness toward God? Come on, you, you've never had some event or some situation that caused you to question what God was doing or why God would allow a certain something to happen? Have you ever felt hurt because of something God allowed to happen? Have you ever felt mad at God because of the way something turned out? If so, you're not alone. Most of us would have to admit that there have been times when we've wondered why God allowed something to happen. Maybe you've known someone who has gotten mad at God. So, how do you overcome those feelings? God is too good to be unkind, and He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace His hand, we must trust His heart. Hello and welcome again to Crosswalk. Today we finish our series, Forgiveness, Mission Impossible, and we're closing out this series looking at a subject that may be hard for us to admit to, experiencing feelings of hurt or even anger toward God. We've seen it just in the last few weeks in wake of the school shooting in Florida, people voicing displeasure and anger at God, and where was God in the midst of all this, and why would God allow this sort of thing to happen? We've seen it, we've heard it, and unbelievers may say it out loud, but we've probably all struggled with it at times. As Pastor Clay is going to make clear in today's message, God doesn't need our forgiveness. God doesn't make mistakes. But if a person has those feelings about God, what can they do? Pastor Clay is taking us to the book of Job, where we can learn some important lessons to help us overcome those feelings. Through all of that loss, Job never questions God or what God is doing in the midst of it. Now let's get started. Good morning, Dr. Stevens. Today we come to the end of your assignments on forgiveness. We all know what it feels like to be hurt by someone. We also know that we are all imperfect. And so the potential is there for us to hurt others and to be hurt by others. But what do we do when it feels like God is the one who has hurt us? Your mission, should you decide to accept, is to help these people overcome feelings of hurt or disappointment that come when we don't understand what God is doing. This message will not self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Clay. As we have said throughout this series, forgiveness is not always easy. Whether we are talking about receiving forgiveness, and that we spent the first two weeks talking about that, right? Receiving God's forgiveness. And whether we're talking about receiving forgiveness, whether we're talking about Uh, extending forgiveness to others, whether we're talking about uh, forgiving ourselves. Forgiveness is not always easy, it seems. But what about when we're talking about forgiveness toward God? Oh, come on. Come on. You've never had something happen in your life You've never had some event or, or, or some situation that caused you to, to question what God was doing or why God would allow a certain something to happen? I realize we're in church, so we're supposed to act all spiritual and everything, but, but you, you've, never, you've never had those moments where, where you felt disappointed with a situation or, or hurt by God because of an action God took or, or seemingly didn't take on your behalf? Why did God allow this to happen in my life? Why did God uh, allow that person to be taken from me? Why uh, did did God uh, allow that injustice to come into my life? 
I think we could honestly say, if, if, if we're honest, I think we could say that we all have at times felt, questioned what God was doing or not doing, why a situation turned out the way it did or didn't turn out the way we thought that it should turn out. And if we're real honest, maybe even say that, that we're a little maybe mad or upset or, or disappointed with God. Maybe a little. Now, I, I want to say from the outset that God in no way needs forgiveness. God is absolute in his authority and his holiness and his purity and his perfection. God makes no mistakes. God needs no forgiveness. But that does not change the fact that people do at times feel angry or mad or hurt at God. We've seen it just in the last few weeks in wake of the, of the school shooting in Florida. People voicing displeasure and anger at, at God and where was God in the, in the midst of all this and, and why would God allow this sort of thing to happen. We've, we've seen it, we've heard it. And unbelievers may say it out loud, but we've probably all struggled with it at times. So what do we need to do? I want to ask you, or actually more technically correct, I want to get you to ask yourself three questions today that will help answer, help you answer feelings that you may have about disillusionment or, or hurt or, or even anger at God for something that has happened in your life or someone's life. I want to ask you three questions that I hope will help with that. And to do so, we're going to look at the life of somebody that knew a little something about this subject. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them, please, to the book of Job. Job chapter 36 is where we're going to start. We're going to be covering several chapters and reading chunks of several chapters in Job chapter 36. The text is going to be up on the screen as well, but I always encourage folks to open a copy of God's Word yourself uh, whenever possible, be it hard copy, digital copy, whatever the case may be. Uh, but, but I encourage you to do that um, this morning. Three questions that will help answer for you these feelings that you may struggle with. Maybe not. Maybe you say, you know what, I've never had a time in my life where I questioned God. Never a time in my life where I was hurt by something that God allowed to happen. Never a time in my life where I've been angry with God. Okay, good for you. But you probably know somebody that has, and perhaps God can use you uh, to minister to them. So I'll start with the first question this morning, and then we're going to read some of Job chapter 36. The first question this morning is this, do I remember who is God? It's a question that I can ask myself, not just this morning in this room, because this is a, you know, a fairly sterile environment, so to speak. It won't be until next week or next month or, or two years from now, but whenever that event or that 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 whatever comes into your life, that's the time that you need to remember, hey, these are these questions that I need to use to answer these feelings that I may have in my life about what God is doing or not doing. Do I remember who is God? Uh, We're going to begin in verse 22 of Job chapter uh, 36 and kind of proceed from there. Y'all ready? Y'all with me? Thank you. Have I said that lately? Thank you for being here. Thanks. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has appointed him his way? And who has said you have done wrong? 
Remember that you should exalt His work, of which men have sung. All men have seen it. Man beholds from afar. Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know Him. In other words, there's no way to know the depths of who God is. The number of His years is unsearchable. For He draws up the drops of water. They distill rain from the mist, which the clouds pour down. They drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges peoples, he gives food in abundance, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence, the cattle also concerning what is coming up. On into chapter 37, at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it loose and his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars his thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. Skip down to verse uh, 6. No, I'm sorry, down to verse 10. From the breath of God, ice is made and the expanse of the waters is frozen. Also with moisture, he loads the thick clouds. He disperses the cloud of his lightning. It changes direction, turning around by his guidance that it may do whatever he commands it. On the face of the inhabited earth, whether for correction or for his world or for loving kindness, he causes it to happen. Listen to this, O Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Do you know how God establishes them and makes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? Obviously, we are jumping into the middle of the story. And if the book of Job is new to you, I apologize to you. But in the earlier chapters of Job, we learn that that such tragedy and calamity has come upon Job as much as, as you or I could possibly imagine, more than any person we could possibly imagine. He has lost virtually everything and everyone that meant anything to him. We learn that in the opening chapters. We also learn in the opening chapters that through all of that loss, Job never questions God or what God is doing in the midst of it. There's that famous line in in, uh, chapter 3, I believe it is, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He never questions what God is doing until a group of, of friends show up to comfort Job. And I put that in italics, but honestly, I'm sure they meant well. And they do well at first. At first they come and they they greet Job. They've heard about all the calamity that's come upon him, all the loss that's come upon him. And, And at first they just sit down and they just weep with Job. They cry with Job. They mourn with Job. They're just there with Job. They're just being there. You know, that's some, sometimes that's one of the best things we can do for someone that's, that's experienced a loss or a tragedy in their lives. Sometimes it's not about what we say. It's about just being there. And they were, they were, they were just there. They were just there with him. But as they look at this man, 
as they look at his life, the physical stuff that had come upon him, the loss that he experienced in his life, as they looked at that and as they sat there uh, hour upon hour, day upon day, and, and they looked at all of the bad that had happened to Job, it causes them to begin to think and eventually to begin to speak. And what they say is, and I'm paraphrasing, but what they say is, hey, Job, you must have done something really bad for all of this bad to have happened to you. Job, there, there, there's no way that God would have allowed all of this to happen in your life if, if you had not done something, if not let some sin come into your life. And so they spend the next several days trying to convince Job and get Job to admit that he's done something wrong. And it causes Job at some point to perhaps begin to question whether what God has done in his life. Now listen, I want to say this. The Bible is clear that in questioning God, Job never sinned. It's important that you and I understand that because it's important that we understand that God is not afraid of our questions. God is not put off by questions that come from a sincere heart, genuinely looking for answers. God is not afraid of our questions. God's ready for our questions. That, that, that's, that's part of a relationship, talking things out and learning and all that kind of stuff. God, God is ready for our questions. The, the, the thing we have to consider is, are we ready for God's answers when he begins to speak? So Job comes to this place where he begins to question, perhaps, and perhaps begins to just forget who is God. Because these guys, and like I said, I think they probably meant well, but quite honestly, they had some bad theology in there. Their understanding of God was, was off. You see, they, they thought, like many people think, by the way, that if you do good, if you are a good person, good will come to you, good will happen for you. Uh, but if you do bad, if you allow sin into your life, then, then bad will happen to you. A lot of people uh, build their theology around that. And listen to me, I have lived long enough to know that if I allow something to come into my life that is contrary to what God wants for my life, I've lived long enough to know that God will bring correction, God will bring discipline into my life, like any loving parent will do. But I have also lived long enough to know that not everything that happens in my life, not, all, any, not, not every bad event, not every calamity or circumstance or what, that not every bad thing that happens in my life is as a result of God's discipline. It's just not. These guys just got it wrong. And I think perhaps it caused Job to maybe begin to forget who is God. Several years ago, I came across this uh, news article in the Orlando Sentinel Times a newspaper. And it was a story about a 40-year-old lawyer by the name of Graves Thomas who was in a, on a lake, Lake Bistineau, near Shreveport, Louisiana. He was out in a boat, three friends with him in the boat, uh, a young lady, fourth person in the water, getting ready to ski. When uh, Thomas who apparently had made quite a reputation for himself as an attorney defending uh, murder, uh, people charged with, with murder, uh, organized crime, um, uh, drug trafficking. He he'd made a specialty out of representing clients like that and made apparently quite a bit of money doing it. When this uh, Graves Thomas 
went to the back of his brand new ski boat, stood up, put his arms straight up in the air, and shouted, Here I am! Witnesses said a bolt of lightning came down, struck him on the head, and killed him instantly. Nobody else in the boat apparently was injured, but it killed him instantly. Let's see, how did that verse go we read a moment ago in Job 36? What did it say? He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. I, I, I know somebody would say, well, no, come on, that was, just, that was just a freak of nature. That was just an accident. That was just, a, that was just a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're probably right. You're probably right. Listen, you understand what, who's being described here? We're not talking about a God of stone and wood. We're talking about the God who made stone and wood. We're not talking about a man-made God. We're talking about the God who made man. We're talking about a God who is awesome in his power and his majesty. A God who is righteous in in, in his splendor and in his holiness. A God who is perfect in his plans and his purposes. And sometimes it's possible that we might just forget who is God. Now, let me say this. I have no idea what Graves Thomas's beliefs or positions were on God. I could hazard a guess based on his actions, but I know this. I'll bet that the people in that boat that day got a fresh understanding of who is God, a fresh awareness of who is God. Listen, uh, Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? Psalmist says, when I think about what you've done, man, what is... Psalm 19, uh, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who's created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Can I tell you that? That's a great exercise. Can I just encourage you to do this? Someday this week, if it ever clears up and clouds go away, uh, some night this week, go outside, get away from the lights, just go outside and just look up into the night sky. Just spend a few moments gazing into the night sky. Don't just block everything else. Just, just get alone, get out there, get in the dark, look up there and see if it doesn't cause some bit of awe and wonder in your life at the thought of who this God is. Who is God? And again, I, I know to, to do that, to do that exercise and look up and, and think of the greatness of God, I, I, I know someone would say, well, that's just, that's just silly. That's just silly superstition. Science tells us that umpteen billion years ago, these, these gases began to, to collect uh, together. And no one seems to know where these gases came, to, came from, but who am I to question? Bill Nye. But the, the, these gases came together, uh, compacted and condensed into such a, a, a point of singularity that it caused this, this gigantic explosion, this big bang that sent billions of particles out into the universe, and over hundreds of millions of years, these particles 
uh, cooled and formed into the, the, the galaxies and the solar systems and the suns and the planets, the stars, and everything else that we see in the night sky. And, and, and the fact that they came uh, and cooled and condensed and cooled into, into such a state of, of absolute uh, symmetry and, co- and complexity and uh, uh, coordination such that so, so precise that we can keep time, that we can track time to the second, that we can navigate the the world that we live on, or the stars for that matter, we can navigate it by the movement of, the, of these solar systems and stars and planets, so precise are they. And the fact that it fell into such a precise and, and orderly and apparently designed fashion is pure luck. Lucky us. Or, and I'm just going to throw this out there, there is a God who is so infinite in his power, so, so beautiful in his design, that he, could, that he could create this system, this world in which we see, this sky in which we can gaze into in such a way that it would declare, that the heavens would declare the handiwork of God. That there could be this God who would... Who would be of such a nature that he would create us in his image and that we could know him in a personal and an intimate way. That's who this God is. Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 12 says this, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. I want to read you something this morning. It's from one of my devotionals uh, this week, A Closer Look at the Evidence. I... I've referenced it before, but earlier this week on March 8th, I just want to read this to you. Just to, just who is this God that we're talking about? In order for our eyes to see, many chemical and electro, electrical reactions must take place in the proper sequence. Even more importantly, these reactions must happen almost instantaneously for us to see what is happening while it is still happening. Researchers have discovered just how quickly light causes the first chemical change within our eye. In order for our brain to see an image, a chemical in our eye, which is sensitive to light, must respond as soon as a photon of light strikes it. This type of chemical change is called a photochemical reaction. Photochemical reactions are the basis of how photographic paper works. But the reactions that result in a printed picture are extremely slow compared to the photochemical reactions in our eye. The fastest photographic film requires the camera lens to remain open for about one ten-thousandth of a second. Biologists have found that the eye's photochemistry is so fast that the first reaction in the sequence takes place in approximately one five billionth of a second. This is 500,000 times faster than our best film capabilities. Our attempts to duplicate the process in our eyes fall short of God's original design by such an extreme amount that Darwin himself admitted that the human eye seemed to defy his theory of evolution. The God who made the hearing ear and the seeing eye, that's who this God is. And sometimes you and I just need to be reminded when, when, when those questions come in our minds about why would God allow this or why did that happen, 
Listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you the answer to why certain things happen. But what I'm saying to you, here's the question you need to ask. Who, do, do, I really, do I really remember who is God? And connected to it is the second question, and it looks like this. Do I recognize who is not God? Let me start in uh, verse, uh, listen, I'm not going to read all of that that you saw. Basically, all of chapter 38, all of chapter 39, really all of chapter 40 and chapter 41. But I'm just reading a couple little sections here uh, that I, uh, just to bring out kind of what's being said here. Uh, starting in uh, verse, uh, verse 1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Skip down to verse 1 of chapter 39. Do you know? Whoops, sorry, yeah, 40. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What, I, what can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and, and I will not answer even twice, I, I will add nothing more. And then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Sometimes I need to recognize who is not God. Basically, God takes up where Elihu left off. Elihu had given this, this accurate, one of, the, one of those guys, not, all, not everything, I don't know if I said this earlier, but not everything they said was wrong. Elihu had given this beautiful description that we read about who this God is. And in these chapters, and like I said, just, uh, just read a small chapter, but in these chapters, God basically takes up where Elihu left off. And he, he's, he, he's, just, he's just, hey, like I said earlier, God is not afraid of our questions. When I say this, you learn this in your life, there comes a point where God starts asking the questions. Now, obviously, the questions are not designed to provide God with some information. The questions are designed to provide Job with some perspective. Because before the schooling begins to take place, before God begins to take Job to school on this, all Job can see, listen to me, and maybe you can identify with this, I can't at times in my life, before God begins to speak, all Job could see was his world, his hurt, his problems, his pain, his, his experiences. That's all he could see. And so God begins to ask Job a series of questions. Things like, hey, Job, were you there when I, when I laid the foundation of the world? Hey, Job, can you tell me how this works? Hey, Job, what about this? Uh, Job, do you understand how this works out and how this system works? He just begins to answer the, asking this series of questions. And at some point, and, and we read it just a moment ago, at some point, Job's like, oh, whoa, you know what? I, I, just, I just need to close my mouth. I just need to shut up because it's clear I don't understand everything that I'm talking about. But God doesn't stop there. God goes on. And this is important. I want you to understand this. God goes on. Here's why. God's, God's not doing this to quiet Job's mouth. That's really not a problem for God. He can just send a bolt of lightning and 
You understand what I'm saying? God's not trying to quiet Job's mouth. God's trying to quiet Job's heart. That's the intention. He's trying to get Job to the place where, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So God does it, and Job says, well, I just need to be quiet. I don't know what I'm talking about. And God says, no, no, I'm, I'm not done yet. And you can read on through it, and I encourage you to do that. Read on through 38, 39, 40, 41. God says, how about this? Do you understand this? Do you know how this works? You do this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, on and on, and on and on, and on and on, till Job, and here's the point, till Job gets to the place where he can answer his own question. This is important, and I'll talk about this in a moment. God never answers Job the question Job's asking for. But God brings Job to the place where he can answer his own question. And the answer that Job comes up with is this. There is a God, and I'm not him. There is a God, and I'm not him. And I need to understand that. Can I, listen, can I just say this to you? When, when you and I are tempted to, to question what God is doing or not doing, or what, can I just say this to you? You're not qualified. You're not qualified. Because listen to me, if you think, if you think you're ready in, in, in your particular case, in your particular life, it's my life, I want to do it my way, I want to live my way. If you think you're ready to step into God's shoes, let me just tell you this, you better lace them up tight because there are some big shoes to fill. I'm, I'm sure most of you guys have, have seen these series of commercials for a national hotel chain. I had never seen this one. Look at dude right here in them tight old slacks. Oh, look at the hairline, man. It's way pushed back. And that tie's mad ugly. It's a horrible pick. Somebody get me some pills. This dude is making me sick. True that, true that. All right. Okay, okay. Hold on to my clean shirts and please don't get them dirty because I know you're going to drool when you hear me getting wordy. Because I'm a walking, talking, smacking human encyclopedia. You thought I'd stop there, but now I'm getting greedier. I'm a promotion in motion and by now you got the notion that I got strategic plans coming out my ears. My key points and decks will bring y'all to tears. Turning pennies into dimes, I shift paradigms. But how you gonna let a marketing rep rip your rep and slip a depth rhyme schemes and that your mind only dreams in? I bet you all wonder why my rhyme is so tight. I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Staying at a Holiday Inn Express won't make you a rapper. And going to church doesn't make you God. You're not qualified. I'm not qualified to presume to... to make decisions on a level that are beyond my comprehension or understanding. Understand what I'm saying to you? See, the problem is that we're trying to think about an infinite God with a finite mind. And it just doesn't compute. It never will to the full extent. We can we can understand that he is. We can know him in a personal, intimate way. But to begin to think that I can step in and take his place and make decisions for my life that, that when, I have, when I have neither the ability nor the power to, to know about the future or the past or this or that or that circumstance or this person over here or what's going on there or anything else, I have to understand. Listen, let me just put it to all of us bluntly. When you're tempted to, to do it or to think that you know better or I don't understand, if I were God, I wouldn't have allowed this or I'd have made this or I'd have made sure this and how. Listen to me. Stop trying to be caretaker of the universe. That position is filled. And we have to understand that in our lives. Do, do I recognize who is not God? It's me. I'm not God. And when I forget that, I begin to, to question God and what God is doing which then 
brings me to the last question to ask ourselves in those situations, and is this, will I realize that God does have a plan? Am I willing to realize that whether I see it, whether I understand it, whether I even enjoy all of it, I can accept, I can realize, you know what? God has a plan. Let me read uh, chapter 42, verse 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. See how Job's turned it around now? Using God's very words now, but in a positive way. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Job has an aha moment in the midst of all of those questions in this interaction with God. He has an aha moment and it's this realization, you know what? God is on his throne. God is in control. And sometimes stuff in my life may not feel like things are in control or that things are, uh, but, but I know that God has a plan. Now listen, when we're talking about events and circumstances that happen in our life, there's a lot of factors that may be a part of this, right? There is, however all it all works together, there is something to to the free will of man and decisions that are made in that way. There is something to the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world that affects events that happen in our lives. There is something to the fact that, that Satan is still loose and alive in this world and still working that can affect certain situations and, and events in life. But the bottom line is the realization that God is there and God has a plan, as I said, whether I understand it all or even enjoy it all that I can trust I can trust that's what this is coming down to is this trust issue is God God or am I is God on his throne or am I God has a plan saying about in the context of of my life our our lives when I was nine years old my dad came home from the barn one night and sat down to dinner and in the midst of bite of mashed potatoes or something said, uh, pack up, we're moving. It was traumatic. I had to leave my friends. I had to leave my girlfriend. Nine years old, you lose your girlfriend. That's... Packed us up, moved us to Okeechobee, Florida. But it was in Okeechobee, Florida that I met the young lady who would eventually become my wife, now of nearly 40 years. Because her parents suddenly packed up their stuff in New Jersey. Sorry, babe and moved to Okeechobee, Florida. When I was 18, me and a buddy of mine went and took the civil service exam for employment at the United States Postal Service. We just did it to get his mom off our back because she kept bugging us about going to take this exam. So we took the exam. I scored one point higher on the exam than my buddy did. Two years later, I get a call from the post service to come in for an interview. I swear to you, honestly, I had forgotten all about it. I had just forgotten all about it. The roster uh, where people take the exam isn't, wasn't supposed to last uh, two years. There's a new roster. The old one expired. But there was some kind of glitch. And they had to go back to the old roster. And I was the top name on that list by one point. And so I got hired at the postal service by one point over my buddy. In the Postal Service, you can transfer and you want, anywhere you want to as long as there's an opening. Cindy's parents had moved to Tennessee, so we transferred to Tennessee. Transferred up there to the post office in Waverly, 
Tennessee. The church we were attending there in Waverly, Tennessee, and had a pastor who had been there a, a, a long time, very tenured pastor, who didn't believe in the Word of God. He didn't believe in the authority of the Word of God. It was a difficult situation, but it really was the only option we had. We were miserable and began to feel we'd made a terrible mistake. We wanted to go back to Okeechobee, Florida. I affectionately say the promised land, <laughs> That's what I said. And lo and behold, wonder of wonders, the post office down there had never filled my position. Six, seven months later, never filled my position. And greater wonder of wonders, they actually wanted me back. And so six or seven months later, transferred back to Okeechobee, Florida, the place we had been and left for seven months. And because of the situation in the church in Waverly and and the lack of teaching on the Word of God, uh, we came back and gave us this, this intense desire for the Word of God. And so the next three years or so began, began a time of intense spiritual growth for Cindy and, and me. And we had continued to pray for the church in, in Tennessee, and lo and behold, uh, that pastor retired after a number of years, and they brought in a new pastor who, who believed in the Word of God. And God, God also began to burden our hearts about going back to the very place that we hate it and, and had sworn we never go back to. And, and three and a half years after we left, we were back in the same place. And shortly after getting there, the, the, the new pastor asked me to consider coming on uh, bivocationally on staff as the, as the student pastor of that church. And we experienced a wonderful time of just a number of, of uh, students coming to know Christ as our Savior, growing in the Lord, surrendering to ministry, all kinds of things. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. We also experienced God's call into full-time vocational ministry. And I had become a postmaster, and I was doing the student ministry. We were doing the student ministry. and was very successful at it, but, but we've sensed God's call into to full-time vocational ministry. And, and so resigned from the post office, resigned from the church, moved to Atlanta to go to school down there and work on my undergraduate degree, which I had never finished and we got there, we started attending a church, and that church had just gotten a brand new pastor, and the brand new pastor, we just connected, and he said, man, I, I, you're the man, that we're looking for a student pastor, you're, I know you're the one that, that, that God wants to be a student pastor of this church. But the, but the student pastor search team wouldn't have any of it, they, they wouldn't have it, because I didn't have a degree yet, and so they rejected it outright, and so I, it didn't work out. And then eventually I got called to another uh, church to be a student pastor, a much smaller church uh, uh, at a much uh, uh, reduced uh, pay grade, let's say. But the pastor there knew that I had a passion to preach the Word of God. And so he just gave me every Sunday night. He said, you'll preach every Sunday night. Those poor people, but it helped me. It helped me. It helped me. And, and, and I graduated with my, with my Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies and eventually transferred to Southeastern and did, did my other degrees and all that kind of stuff, on through all of it, all, right up to this very moment, right up to this very moment, through every bit of it, ups, downs, adversity, uncertainty, fears, doubts, wondering, doubting, scared, moving forward, always stepping, trying to move forward in faith, you understand what I'm saying to you? God always has a plan. God always has a plan. If we'll just trust him, that's really what this is coming down to. It's always coming back to a trust factor. And will I trust him enough to, to move forward with him in whatever comes into my life? And there was stuff along that, believe me, I, I gave you a super fast forward condensed version. There was a lot of pain in there through the years. There was a lot of uncertainty and, and adversity at times in our lives. But it's always coming down to, God, will I trust myself? And maybe I ought to do this, or maybe I ought to go in this direction, or maybe I just ought to stay where I am, or maybe, or God, will I move forward by faith with you 
in what you're doing because I believe you have a plan. And I believe you are, that that plan is good, whether everything that happens in my life is good or not is not the point, but that you are good and therefore what you have for me is good. Isn't that what the prophet Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's always coming back to trust in your life, in the uncertainty, and the stuff that happens in your life that you like, don't like, question, wonder. God's not afraid of our questions, but you and I have to come to the place where we're willing to ask some questions of ourselves. Do I, do I remember who is God? Do I recognize who is not God? And will I realize that God has, actually has a plan and that I can trust him in that plan? Listen, the very famous British pastor, preacher, Charles Spurgeon said these famous lines. Maybe you've heard them. God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. It's always coming down to trust. You've probably figured this out already. But we don't really need to forgive God of anything. But we need to trust him in everything. And by his grace, ladies and gentlemen, that is not mission impossible for your life. There is a God. I'm not him. And he has a plan. Those are three very important concepts for us to grasp and hold on to when life doesn't make sense and when we're tempted to be angry with God. Like Job, we need a proper perspective to help us understand that even if we don't understand what God is doing, we can trust His goodness and know that He always has our best in mind. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. I want to lead you to the 
Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.